This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our monthly Bright Focus chat presented by the Bright Focus Foundation. My name is Guy Eakin. I'm the Vice President for Scientific Affairs at the Bright Focus Foundation. So thank you for joining us today. And Our topic today is going to be spring cleaning, making your home safer for low vision. And this will be a discussion with Orly Weiserpike, who's a doctor of occupational therapy and a certified low vision specialist. She has more than 13 years uh, specialized in treating people with uh, coping with vision loss. Some of you who've been on for a while may may recognize Orly's name and voice from a previous Bright Focus chat. So Orly, uh, thank you for agreeing agreeing to come back for an encore performance today, and we're we're happy to welcome you back. Thank you so much for asking me back, Guy. I really appreciate the work that you and the team from Bright uh, Focus Foundation are doing to help people cope with low vision from macular degeneration and, of course, all the the rest of the work that you do. Thank you so much. Well, before we get right into the call, I'd like to mention that if you have a question that you'd like to ask at any time during today's call, please press star 3 to submit your question to an operator. And if for some reason you're disconnected from this call, uh, there's a number to call back in. That's 877-229-8493. That's 877-229-8493. And you'll be asked to punch in an ID code of 112435. That's 112-435. I'd also like to mention that if you'd prefer to listen to this chat over a computer, you can live stream the call today at www.brightfocus.org backslash live chat. And if you happen to be listening online right now, you can submit your questions by emailing us at chatquestion at brightfocus.org. So spring is here, and at least in the D.C. area, many times uh, for many people this this time of year makes us think of spring cleaning. So with that in mind, we're going to put a low vision spin on this concept. So we have... We have recent data from the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, that shows that the most common place for injuries to occur is actually inside our house. So this is 38% of women's injuries, about 26% of men's injuries, and there's a number of simple modifications to our living spaces that can help prevent falls or other types of household injuries. So Orly, let's get this started. What are some overall, just the highest level, general recommendations or rules of thumb that that would apply to most of the rooms of the house? Thanks, Guy. So with respect to low vision, we want to think about three specific strategies. The first strategy is to improve the visibility inside the home by using adequate lighting and, of course, by reducing glare. The second strategy is to use bright colors and contrast so that objects stand out against their background. The third strategy is organization, and so this means getting rid of clutter, grouping items that belong together, and always returning them to the same place. These three strategies, lighting, contrast, and organization, will go a long way to helping make your home safer. Well, well, that's great. Well, maybe we should just start right from the top of those. Uh, 
what what can you say more specifically about lighting? And uh, specifically, of course, we're talking about lighting inside our home in this conversation. So when someone has low vision, he or she typically needs about three to four times as much light as someone without vision loss. In general, we consider two situations when we need light. One situation is for getting around, like walking down a hallway, and the other situation is for doing detailed tasks like reading a medicine label or or chopping vegetables. The amount of light we need for moving around is typically less than the amount of light that we need for seeing details. So, of course, the question is, how do we get more light? Now, most people make the mistake of thinking that if they use a, a light bulb with higher wattage, they'll get better lighting. But the truth is, that increasing the wattage of the light bulb is very dangerous because you can burn your house down by putting in a light bulb that requires more wattage than the maximum wattage rating on the fixture. So all fixtures have a sticker in them that tells the maximum wattage that you can use. And for ceiling fixtures, this is usually about 60 watts. Nowadays, we have energy-efficient bulbs that use a lot less wattage or power to produce the same amount of brightness than the old-style incandescent bulbs. So I recommend using a compact fluorescent bulb or compact fluorescent bulbs because they are easy to install and they're relatively inexpensive. They also don't get quite as hot as the older-style bulbs. Also, uh, one thing to keep in mind is that light bulbs come in different color temperatures. So we see bulbs labeled as soft white or bright white or daylight. Now, soft white bulbs produce a, a yellower looking light, which is great for creating a warm atmosphere or a decorative vintage look, similar to candlelight. However, it's not a useful color temperature for reading or other detail tasks. So for reading or chopping vegetables or applying makeup or doing crafts, uh, you want a bulb with a color temperature that mimics natural daylight. Most importantly, when you're using light for detailed tasks, is to bring the light where it's needed using an adjustable desk lamp or a floor lamp or even a small handheld flashlight. You can get four times the amount of light by bringing it two times closer. So that's called the square, the inverse square rule. Basically, um, you don't have to necessarily increase the wattage of the bulb, but by bringing the light closer, it, it, it um, illuminates a whole lot more. And then one last point is uh, to, to think about is cleaning the bulbs. So over time, light bulbs and fix, fixtures get dirty. So you want to clean the bulbs and fixture covers um, pretty regularly because dust and critters that accumulate in the lens covers can dim the amount of brightness that the light or that that fixture can produce. And then um, even though a lot of light bulbs say that they 
you know, guaranteed for X amount of you of years, the filaments also decay within the light bulb. So replacing uh, bulbs that look like they're starting to dim is a good idea. Periodically replacing those bulbs. Well, that's wonderful. I think there's a there's a lot of information there that one might not necessarily find just looking around on the internet. So I don't think I'd ever heard anyone describe the advantages or what the differences are between all these soft wide and bright wide, all these brand uh, brand descriptions that you see on light bulbs when you when you walk down the aisle at the store. I do want to tell people you can push star three at any time to briefly leave the line and ask a question to the to any of our operators. And so if it's uh, about the information being discussed today, we'd be happy to work that into the discussion. So what a, let's follow up on that that idea of bright colors and 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 an idea of contrast uh, can you can you give some examples of how to use color and contrast to to make your home safe, safer yes so um people with low vision often have diminished perception of color as well as reduced contrast sensitivity and contrast sensitivity is the ability to see an object against a background with a similar color or tone. Now, bright colors are easier to see in general than pastel colors, which look more washed out. Um, We discussed lighting earlier, and a good example, uh, and a good light intensifies the appearance of colors. Solid colors are easier to see than patterns. For example, it's easier to see food on a solid colored plate than on a plate that's covered in a pattern, like a beautiful Wedgwood porcelain plate with blue and white illustrations. Using color and contrast can be as simple as installing a dark electrical outlet cover on a light colored wall, or as simple as pouring milk into a navy blue bowl. That's, a, that's interesting. I, I, I think, though, with probably the amount of time that we have for lighting, we want to make sure we, we move at a good clip. But you mentioned organization as one of the, the strategies for, uh, for safety in the home. Do you have specific suggestions about, uh, about organization? Yes. So, of course, we all want to feel safe and comfortable in our homes, and we like to be surrounded by all the things that bring us comfort, but nothing is more frustrating than having to spend time looking for stuff that we can't find. Now, we rely a whole bunch. We rely greatly on our vision for seeking and finding items in our surroundings. So when vision loss occurs, it's even harder to rely on this sense for finding the items that we're searching for. So it's very important to eliminate clutter wherever possible in all areas of the home. I know some people have a great difficulty getting rid of stuff because they either can't part with it for sentimental reasons or they can't decide if it should be kept or eliminated. So a simple way to eliminate clutter is to go room by room with three boxes. One for items that are currently in use, one for items to store, to put away, and then the third box for items that you would like to donate. Uh, A good example for this is in the clothes closet. Decide which items of clothing 
are in use and place them in the first box. And in the second box, you can place items that are seasonal, like winter coats and sweaters, especially now that we're coming up upon summer. And you can store them for later. And then in the third box, you can place items that you have not worn for the past year and are unlikely to wear again in the future. And you can donate those items from that box, from that third box. For the remaining items that you're going to keep, you can use the principle of color and contrast that I discussed earlier. For example, in the closet, you can hang items of clothing by color and separate colors that are similar and difficult to distinguish. For example, brown and black. You can decide to hang the brown clothes on one end of the closet and the black clothes on the other side. So you can tell them apart and keep them apart. I may just be doing that in my own closet when I get home. Those are those are wonderful suggestions, but I know in our house we have some areas that may be more problematic than others, and one, one that comes right to mind is the kitchen. So what, what do you suggest about getting around the, uh, the kitchen and preparing food in a way that's safer and more efficient? One of the simplest ways to make food preparation easier is by making sure that you can identify the food products easily and efficiently because nothing is more frustrating than opening a can of corn instead of a can of peaches for dessert. You can make yourself simple labels using index cards, a bold marker, and some rubber bands. All you need to do is write in large print the name of the product in the can. You can fasten that index card to the can with the rubber band. Keep your pantry organized this way. Uh, you can also do this with frozen dinners. You can place an index card with the name of the food and the number of minutes that you'll need to heat it in the microwave. Now, with regards to the microwave, the settings on the microwave and toaster oven, if that's where you heat your food, those can be marked using adhesive tactile round bump dots. Uh, that help you to feel where the start and stop buttons are on your appliance. Uh, you also may need someone to help you to place the dot in the right spot. Uh, another easy fix for appliances is to make an enlarged diagram of the various buttons and settings that you can refer to uh, on a piece of paper, you can slip it inside a uh, little uh, plastic sheet cover. Uh, and you can use this instead of having to lean over hot burners or leaning in toward a hot oven to read the dials and the settings. Uh, you might also want to consider using a desk lamp on the counter to help bring more light to the area where you prepare food. So even though you might have a great light coming from the ceiling, it might not be enough to illuminate your work surface and you may even be creating a shadow uh, on your countertop if your ceiling light is behind you. Uh, so I'd also recommend having a small flashlight inside your kitchen cabinet. Cabinets are dark spaces that are often difficult to see into. And a flashlight can go a long way towards illuminating the darkness that's inside the cabinet. 
Um, also, with respect to kitchen safety, most kitchens have a variety of uh, work surfaces at different heights. Now, if possible, place the most frequently used supplies and equipment between eye level and hip height. And that will help you to avoid unnecessary bending, reaching, and lifting. This is particularly true when considering the height of the microwave. I've seen many homes and many kitchens where the microwave is high um, at eye level. So consider lowering the position of the microwave onto the counter if it's high, onto, the, uh, onto a hip height counter if it's high. A microwave that is installed at eye level makes it harder to reach inside and carry hot food uh, out of the microwave, and that can potentially lead to a dangerous uh, spill situation or, or burn when hot food is removed from the appliance. Uh, also, consider storing heavy items within easy reach rather than low down or at the back of a cabinet. Now, finally, in the kitchen, think about safety when pouring liquids. Now, I know that low vision can make it difficult to measure and estimate liquid levels. A quick and easy solution is to always pour liquids over a tray or a basin or a sink, something that can catch uh, a liquid spill so that if a spill occurs, it's already contained and can easily be cleaned up. Well, thank you. All those are, are wonderful suggestions. I, you know, as you talk about bringing new light into the kitchen, one of the things that I reflect back on is that idea of spring cleaning and clutter. And, you know, with in the kitchen, especially, for instance, on kitchen counters, that's a that's a likely place to to get clutter. And I I'm curious if you have suggestions about that, uh, about how to how to limit clutter, especially in those kitchen counters or other high traffic areas in the house. Yeah, uh, so decluttering is very important, especially with low vision. As I mentioned before, finding items becomes more difficult if there's a lot of clutter. Uh, so. We, we know that it's really important that things and objects have a place to store away the same place. And especially when people have low vision, it's very important to keep things in the same place so that they can easily be found. But it's also important to make it easier to find things that we use on a daily basis. So I would recommend keeping items that are used on a daily basis within reach on the counter in a designated area. For example, uh, keep your coffee-making supplies on a tray on the counter, but put away any boxes of cookies that you might not eat every time you make yourself a cup of coffee. When I, when I think about the, the advice in the kitchen, I imagine that uh, the other places where we have a lot of opportunity for accidents are, are, are in the bathroom. So, so let's move the conversation to the bathroom. What types of modifications... Uh, do you think are appropriate to make a bathroom safer in the context of low vision? So here um, I'll go back to the original discussion about lighting. It's very important to have really good, clean, bright light in the bathroom because light makes it easier to see potential fall hazards. 
Now remember that bathrooms are places with shiny and slippery surfaces that can lead to glare and falls. So having good light throughout the bathroom is essential. And I often recommend the daylight bulbs in fixtures in the bathroom. Um, you can also use a bright, solid, colored floor mat with non-skid backing. I would recommend getting one as large as possible to fit the floor area and uh, perhaps a carpet with a heavier gauge uh, to keep the edges from rolling over. A thin area rug will roll and wrinkle more easily and that creates an uneven, potentially hazardous floor surface. So think about a solid color, a large, heavy, carpet with a non-skid backing for, for the area rug uh, in the bathroom. Now grab bars can be added for safety, but here I would strongly advise you to have these professionally installed. Uh, they need to be installed into a stud or they have to be installed so that they can actually bear the weight of the person using them. Uh, there are many varieties of grab bars in different lengths diameters and different finishes. I would even recommend going so far as to exchange the towel rack for a grab bar because many people mistakenly use the towel rack for support. Um, and just speaking about towel racks, you should never lean on the toilet paper holder by your toilet or on a soap dish because these can easily rip out of the wall. Um, so if you need to step over the side of the tub to get into your bath or shower, you can put a bright uh, solid colored towel over the side of the tub to make it easier to tell how high to lift your feet over the side. Or better yet, uh, you can just sit on the side of the tub and swivel your feet into the tub to get in. So you just pivot around on your, uh, on your bottom while you're sitting down. That's an easier way to get in and out of the tub. And then uh, while you're bathing, to differentiate between the shampoo and the conditioner, for example, if they are in similar bottles, you can put a rubber band around one of the bottles, around one of the containers, so that you can tell them apart. You just need to remember which one is which. If you put the rubber band around the shampoo, you got to just remember that. Um, another uh, way to uh, keep yourself safe is to use soap on a rope. Uh, I don't find a lot of that anymore. Uh, you can even make yourself a little uh, soap inside a sock, actually. If you can't find soap on a rope, you can get a bar of soap and just put it inside uh, a, uh, a sock that might be missing its mate from, from your laundry. <laughs> and that's another way to uh, keep your soap safe and easy to find. Uh, if you take a bath and it's hard for you to see how uh, far your bath is filled up with water, you can put something bright that floats in the water while it is filling up to help you tell how high uh, the water is. Well, uh, Orly, one of the things I always enjoy talking to you about is the sort of the creativity that comes out. And I think there's, as I mentioned earlier, there's so many things that you might not read on the Internet or on the typical pamphlets that you find in the doctor's office. And certainly I think, uh, you know, soap in a sock 
Yeah, is, is one of those things. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. So I, I know that, that that there'll be plenty of people who might be trying that here in the in the near future. But maybe uh, maybe riffing on that theme, you know, uh, what are what are areas that you think are in your experience that are are frequently overlooked and that that don't really make it into these lists that we sometimes see on the pamphlets in the doctor's office. So I, you know, if I if I were thinking on in if I were thinking personally, I'd say perhaps a laundry room or a garage. I don't see anything. I don't see much about that out there. But how about how about you? What what do you think is overlooked out uh, overlooked when we consider low vision in the home? Yeah, those are really good uh, rooms to talk about. Let's talk about the laundry room and the garage. So laundry rooms are definitely spaces that need good bright light. So having a good bright light can help you to sort your laundry into dark and light colors. Um, Having a good bright light can help you to identify and treat stains. Light can help you to put together matching clothes as they come out of the dryer. Um, And of course, light can help you to see the settings on your washer and dryer. So if you don't have enough light in your laundry room, then keep a small, uh, like an LED flashlight, a small little flashlight by the washing machine and and use that. You can also mark um, your frequently used settings using a bright adhesive label or a bump dot that I mentioned earlier when we discussed the microwave. Um, Earlier I also mentioned using an enlarged diagram of the appliance style. So these can help you to select the right settings for your washer and your dryer. Um, Another recommendation I would say is to use laundry detergent capsules instead of loose powder detergent or or liquid detergent. Um, You just put these capsules directly into the dirty clothing in the washing machine and you don't have to bother with measuring or pouring detergent. And um, let's talk about the garage. So with respect to the garage, many people enter and exit their homes from the garage. So in addition to making sure that the garage is well organized and that the path from the garage into your home is clear, uh, I would recommend that you place something on your house key to easily identify it from the other keys on your keychain, something like a rubber ring. If you have an alarm keypad at the entrance to your home from the garage, then you can mark the number 5, which is typically the number in the middle of a grid, like a tic-tac-toe grid. Um, and that, that's how the numbers are laid out, with 1, 2, 3 in one row, 4, 5, 6, typically in the middle row, 7, 5, 8, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, 7, 8, 9 uh, in the third row, and then the zero is underneath that. So that, that number 5 is usually in the middle, and I would uh, put a bump dot or something um, to be able to see that number 5, and then memorize the position of your fingers on your alarm code so that, so that you can rely on your sense of touch to key in your alarm code when you enter your home. Um, you want to practice that so that you can arm or disarm your alarm without relying on your vision. Now, there's one other area that uh, you didn't mention that I'd like to talk about, which are closets. We kind of 
talked about them a little bit when I was talking about color and contrast, but I do want to uh, talk about closets again, clothing closets, because they are notorious for having poor lighting. Now, if you're lucky to have a walk-in closet, like a, a closet that has a light in it, um, often there is only one light fixture, and usually the rating on that is about 60 watts. The the maximum rating uh, for the bulb is about 60 watts. So as I mentioned earlier, many people make the mistake of putting a much stronger light bulb in the closet. And this is very dangerous because high wattage bulbs cause a lot of heat. They create a lot of heat. And fixtures are not properly insulated from that heat. So you can have a situation where you have flammable clothing with a heat source, and, and that's really not a good idea. So again, I recommend an energy-efficient bulb, and I recommend it in the daylight uh, color spectrum. Um, and you can get a bulb that is equivalent to 100 watts. So these types of bulbs, um, like the compact fluorescent bulb, they only use 26 watts, but they give the brightness of a 100-watt bulb. Now, if you don't have a light fixture in your closet, then you can hang a small flashlight on a chain or on a rope, or I've even suggested a dog leash, and just attach it to the clothing rod and use it to find the outfit that you need. So you keep clothing of similar color grouped together, and you can also alternate groups of dark clothes with light clothes to make it easier to differentiate between the colored uh, groupings of clothing. Well, we have some questions coming in from the from listeners and there's a couple of them that that are reflect on the on this daylight coloring that you that you just mentioned in the in the closet and asking, you know, are there different types of daylight color or are there different uh different daylights that you'd recommend for different areas of the house and how how do you know what's the right daylight spectrum to uh to to put in one area of the house versus another or or are they all kind of the same well um you're going to have different manufacturers of bulbs but the daylight refers to the color temperature um of the bulb and so it's a certain uh, portion of the light Spectrum. Uh, I'm not a, a physicist, so it's I can only explain it in layman's terms. But in general, there's um, there's in general a selection of three um, types of color temperature bulbs. You have soft white, which is a more yellow kind of uh, light. You have bright white, and then you have the daylight, which is um, a, a crisper. Uh, I don't want to say blue light, but it's um, it, it's a crisper, whiter light. As I mentioned earlier, there's some areas of the home where you want to have a more decorative, um, atmospheric uh, light for ambiance, maybe in your lounge. But uh, in your bathroom, you probably want uh, a daylight bulb. So, so in your lounge, you might have the soft white bulbs. But in your bathroom where you want to be able to see really well and you want to uh, apply makeup or shave, um, then you want the daylight 
colors, uh, color temperature bulbs so that you have a much whiter, cleaner light that's uh, better for seeing detail. But regarding um, if the one brand over another, this, there's not one brand that I would recommend over another. I would just recommend trying to get uh, 100 watt equivalent, which are only 26 watts. Uh, and I'm pretty certain that those would um, meet the, the the maximum rating for uh, most fixtures in, in, in a general residential setting. Well, that, that, that's great, and I, I think we certainly we we see these words on the the labels of the bulbs fairly often, and so you know one uh, you you will see these soft uh, soft light or daylight you know advertised on the on the bulb packaging yeah, as well as the wattages that you're recommending. Yeah, I tell patients it's kind of like ice cream flavors. It's like vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate. <laughs> so it's it's like flavors, but they, but they they're just uh, color temperatures. But it is important to know that they do impact um, how well you will see. And and for 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 anything which requires you to see a lot of detail, I would always go with a daylight um, bulb, a portion of the color spectrum, the, the daylight temperature. Well, that that question maybe segues into another. That, that would ask that sometimes people have uh, have trouble adjusting when they move from one area of the house to another or entering and exiting their homes, especially if you're moving from a dark place to outside to a bright sunny day. So I, that that's a challenge. Do you have any experience with helping people uh, adapt to that challenge? Yeah, that's a really great question. One of the visual functions that slows down as we age in general without regards to having an eye disease or not, so one of the, the things that slows down is the ability to quickly adjust our vision as we move from bright light, from light into darkness, and vice versa, from dark into a light situation. So this might happen if you're outside on a sunny day and you go inside to get a drink of water. Uh, or if you're in a dark movie theater and you come outside into the daylight, the time it takes for our eye for our eyes to adjust um, declines with age. So it takes longer, and it uh, can be even slower and take even longer when we have an eye disease. So of course, using sunglasses or other types of frames that fit over clear prescription glasses is very helpful, um, not only in reducing glare when we are outside, but also in helping lessen the time it takes for our eyes to adjust to darkness. So that transition time uh, for adjustment, uh, it will take less time if we wear shades uh, correctly, there's actually a correct technique for using these types of shades. And so if you're in a bright environment and you are wearing the shades, take them off only once you've entered into the darker space. So I have a lot of people, a lot of patients will tell me um, that they use shades. And when I ask, well, you know, where are they? Oh, they're outside in the car. So they take them off in the car and then they'll come inside you know, they'll get out of a car, back into the brightness and come into the building. So that's really not effective. You want to wear your shades all the way until you've actually entered the building where it's a little bit darker. 
Now, if you're going outside, if you're in a dark building, in a building, and then you're going out into a bright uh, sunlight or brightly lit environment, then you want to put the shades on while you're still inside the dark area before you step over the threshold into the bright light. So doing this will help you to avoid the extreme brightness or the extreme darkness, which can be blinding and disorienting. Well, that's really helpful. And I, I think as we sort of wrap up the uh, the conversation today, a lot of what we're talking about are things that allow us into, to live in the place where we're most comfortable for, for longer periods of time. I'm curious as we look back on the discussion, are there things that we missed? Are there, are there lifestyle changes or, or adaptations to the home that, that you find yourself recommending often that we haven't discussed today, but that might contribute to the safety at home? Yeah. So in general, uh, if you are planning to stay in your home for a long time, you might want to consider consulting a certified aging in place specialist to help you plan changes and modifications to your home with the idea that your home will meet your needs for the remainder of your life. So essentially, you're going to fit your home to your needs. I think most people will agree that they'd prefer to stay in the home rather than have to move into an assisted living facility or a nursing home because their home doesn't fit them anymore. So most people are comfortable and familiar with their own home and community, and moving can be incredibly stressful. So some general recommendations for aging in place would include um, having living areas all on one level, uh, even if you live in a home with two or more stories. That means that you would have a, a bedroom, bathroom, shower, kitchen, and living room all on the main floor. Um, also, there shouldn't be any thresholds between rooms, if, if possible. Uh, hallways and doorways need to be at least 36 to 42 inches wide, and that's to allow for a wheelchair to pass through if that might be needed in the future. And you'd want to clear as much floor space to avoid obstacles or tripping hazards. Another thing that can be done is um, round handles and knobs on doors and faucets can easily be replaced with lever-type handles. Now, I just want to take a moment to talk about bifocals, trifocals, and progressive lenses. So these types of glasses are convenient because they combine several pairs of glasses into one frame. For example, in bifocals, you have the top section for seeing distance and the bottom section for reading. Now, this convenience comes at a cost to your safety. Bifocals and multifocals are known to impair your ability to see obstacles when you're walking around. Now, if you've had cataract surgery, it's likely that you may not even need the top section of your bifocals at all. So consider removing your bifocals or your multifocal glasses when you're moving around in your home. Use your glasses for near tasks like reading or preparing meals, but take them off when you're walking around. You can hang your glasses on a chain and use them when you need them for seeing detail. Now remember, 
You alone are the judge of how well you see through your glasses and whether or not they actually help you. But if you see better without your glasses when you're walking around, then take them off. Uh, you know, Guy, I'm really glad to see that this recommendation actually is now on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention webpage uh, on falls and safety. Well, that and, and everything to do today. I, I really have to thank you, Orly. Uh, it's been a wealth of information. And I, I want to go out and talk to, the, talk to the audience just for a moment, give you an opportunity to provide some feedback. So before we conclude, I'd like to ask the poll question. And that's overall, how would you rate this telephone chat? And if you found it helpful, you know, please press 1 on your phone right now. And if you found it only somewhat helpful, please press 2. And if you didn't find it helpful at all, please press three. While you're doing that, I just want to go back and give a big thank you to Orly Weiser Pike for joining us today with these really outstanding tips. And thank everyone on the on the call who who did ask the the questions. I hope we were able to answer them. If you were not able to jot all the ideas you heard today down, never fear. Within about a week, we'll we'll be posting a recording and a transcript of the call on our website. And so you can also listen and download past chats on iTunes and SoundCloud or call in anytime and we can send you a transcript of the most recent chat. The next chat will be choosing the right doctor to treat your AMD and that'll be on April 27th. And so we'd encourage you to re-register now and submit questions in advance. And we'll also be sending anyone who registered today a reminder email. So in fact, if you stay on the line when the call concludes, you can leave a message, uh, let us know how we're doing, but also can take that up moment to register for the April chat. If you would like a copy of the transcript for this call or to share, uh, to share with someone or even for yourself, you can always call Bright Focus at 1-800-437-2423. Again, that's 1-800-437-2423. And you can always find all of these resources on our website at www.brightfocus.org. That's .org. Okay, so Orly, thank you again. I'd uh, like to thank Orly Weiser-Pike for all of her insight on staying safe and avoiding injuries at the home. Again, if you want to leave a comment after the call, just stay on the line. And thanks from all of us at Bright Focus Foundation. Have a great day. Thank you. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.